welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live podcast from the Winters Group. On this season of our podcast, we're taking a deeper intentional dive into the chapters of the Winters Group's new book, Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. I'm Gabby Gonzalez. I'm the marketing and PR strategist here at the Winters Group, and I am live with Mary Frances Winters, our CEO and founder. Hi, thank you, Gabby. It's good to be with you all today. Welcome to our podcast for today. Um, this is a series, as Gabby said, where we are going deep on racial justice. And our guests today are going to help us to understand how to take some practical action, practical actions uh, in the area of data and marketing and advertising. And they'll be sharing their why with us. So thank you for that. And what we'll do um, since these are also, they're not only our co-authors, they're our colleagues, we're going to check in like we normally do at our team meetings by starting off with um, checking in, just how are we entering today? Um, and let's see, how about um, Samra? Could you introduce yourself and start us off? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. It's great seeing everyone. My name is Thamra, Supermanian Equity Audit and Strategy Manager with the Winters Group. Uh, really excited to be here today to um, talk and also get to tag team with Megan Larson on her chapter as well. I am checking in pretty energized. I am going to go paint pottery in a few hours with my uh, little from Big Brothers Big Sisters. So I, I love that type of stuff and so does she. And so it's one of our favorite things to do. So very excited to do that after this. Who would you like to pass it to? I'll pass it to Megan. Thank you, Samra. Hello, everyone. My name is Megan Larson. I am the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development with the Winters Group. I am checking in amazing. All of the buzz and the feedback that we're getting um, on the book has been amazing. And I'm so excited to see how people are really connecting with this material and really it's helping make a difference in the job that they do every day in this very challenging, um, difficult, uh, fatiguing work that that the practical solutions and tips that we're going to be talking about throughout the podcast and throughout the book that are really resonating with people. And that gives me so much joy and energy. So that's how I'm checking in today. And I will pass it to Mary Frances. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan. I am checking in. Really um, delighted, delighted to be here, delighted to be here with my colleagues. Um, feeling really um, energized, as you say, about the book, about the work that we're doing, um, and just feeling very much, um, very much at peace. So it, it's good to be here. Yeah. So, Gabby, I don't know that you, you didn't check in. Did oh, you? no, I did not. No, I did not. I'm a little cold. So, you know, I was hoping I was saving my voice. But no, I'm checking in even oh. with this little cold where you might hear a cough here and there or maybe me sipping on some tea. Um, I'm still checking in Energize as well because this is so exciting, this book. Just that we have, you know, there's 13 of us who contributed to it. Um, we have all this practical advice that we are so excited to share. So, um, you know, I hope people just keep coming back to listen more and to also pick up the book because it's got such great advice. So um, with that said... Um, as we mentioned, today's show is based on every, um, at least our two authors here, their why for their chapters. So, yeah, let me just um, set the context a little bit too about um, how these two chapters um, connect. Uh, so, Thamra, um, Thamra is our data guru at the at the Winters Group, and uh, she's going to talk with you about 
um, how we have um, how we have not really interrogated our data. And Megan Larson, um, our guru in marketing, um, is going to talk with us about gatekeepers um, in marketing and advertising. And so the connection that, that we saw and the reason we put these two chapters together is around this concept of gatekeepers, because Thomer is going to tell us that there are gatekeepers for, the, for data collection as well. Those who are in power, in control, and oftentimes um, deny the data, misinterpret the data, uh, all of those kinds of things that, that happen uh, because they're, they're gatekeeping. So you might have said marketing and advertising and DEIJ data. How do those two you know, come together? But that's how we're seeing them come together. So Thamara, take it away. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Harry Francis. And you basically took my words from me. You said gatekeeping and how they're <laughs> gatekeepers of the data. And I was like, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, well, then you but, say it. Tell us about yes, it. Yes, <laughs> I will. Um, <laughs> So essentially the why behind my chapter is that data is just something that is so important to all of us, no matter who we are in any industry, we're always looking for data, but what we define as data and what we think is data is not necessarily what actually could be data or what actually tells us about people in the world, about all these groups in the world. Um, I began to write this chapter um, mostly from my own experiences. Um, first in college, when I realized I was part of a group that was all about AAPI disaggregation of data. And I only joined that group because it's an AAPI. And I was like, oh, I'm South Asian. I should be a part of this. I didn't even know what disaggregation meant. Um, and then I really got into it. And the idea of the group was it was essentially getting the state of Massachusetts to disaggregate um, demographic data of the Asian American Pacific Islander group by different groups because what we realized and what I've always known from my lived experience is <laughs> it is full of many countries um, and they all have their own cultures, um, ways of being and ways that they have um, created um, and taken space um, in different industries. So there's a lot of assumptions made of this small group of five groups in your typical equal opportunity data, AAPI, but really so much is there that we were missing because we don't actually separate our data in a way that we can value these different cultures. Um, so that was my first intro into, hmm, data, numbers, there's something there that we're missing. Um, and then working at the Winters Group and Asian American, AAPI means Asian American and Pacific Islander. And nowadays, and we talk about this in our book as well, um, we've been able to separate the data by Asian, um, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, um, even South Asian, East Asian are sometimes different categories that we see as well. Um, but the end of this, the kind of tell all behind this is that um, when I started my work at the Winters Group and we were doing cultural audits, we had a lot of data and we would share these numbers, these statistics with clients, but they would only take things that sounded good to them. And a lot of that's confirmation bias, which essentially means, and it's something that we all do, it's part of our psychology, um, you listen to things and you only like to take the part that you like. And a good example of this was the other day I was looking at horoscopes for the end of the year. I'm a Capricorn. And I saw the little thing and I was like, scroll, scroll, scroll. 
none of this is like me, but there was one part where it was like motivated, dedicated. I'm like, oh, that's me. And then shared that with all my friends and family. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we do in DEI data and in data across organizations and businesses. We like to find things that affirm how we feel, affirm maybe the biases that we have that we don't know, and then use that as the truth. Um, so this chapter goes through a four-step process that we've adopted at the Winters Group um, that starts from really asking and aligning with the client of what is your why? Why do you even want this? Are you just getting numbers to get numbers? Um, and are you doing this for confirmation or to actually do something new? And then we work through qualitative and quantitative me methods that actually tackle the root causes of injustice. So not just asking, do you like working at this organization? But rather, what do you like about it? Are the policies inequitable? Do you like, what, what about the culture makes sense to you? What do you experience? Um, so this chapter goes through a lot of those things. And when I was reading Megan Larson's chapter, one of her subsections was, it's all about capitalism. And I was like, oh, I love this. This is hilarious because I was also thinking about when we think about numbers and data and how our data points, what we should value as data should actually represent our lived experiences. And it immediately got me thinking about the stock market. I'm not an economist. I don't really know much about it. That's my caveat to this, but I know it's about supply and demand. And people get to choose based on what they think is potentially going to have long-term business success or revenue success. But who are those people who gets to choose um, you know, if this is going to be highly valued of an organization or not. Um, and I think it's really funny because we think of the stock market and like stocks as a very quantitative measure and something that like, you know, we have to stick to these numbers, we can't do anything, but really there's so much behind it that is perceptions and lived experience, but it's only the lived experience of the people who get to make those decisions. So mostly white people, people with high SES, people who have more power in the financial industry get to make these Socioeconomic status is SES. <laughs> Socioeconomic status. Um, and I just found that really interesting and kind of ironic that we love to listen to the stock market. Oh, it's really high. And so then there was this even a term that uh, some people use called herd instinct, where if a lot of people are buying the stock, we're going to do it too. Um, and I think it's a common term in the economic space, but it was pretty new to me when I learned it. Um, and I was just like, so it really isn't, is it just how, who gets to decide that this is worthy or not? And yet when we look at data or even stories of people's workplace experiences, oftentimes they just get dismissed because, oh, look, this is a diverse organization. You are getting paid well all of these different things. Um, so I just found that really ironic and interesting and almost not hypocritical per se, but a little hypocritical in how our society views quantitative and qualitative data in different contexts, depending on who the gatekeeper is. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. So one of the things that I think that you um, really brought to life here at the Winters Group um, was um, prioritizing and, and letting us know that the qualitative is just as important as the quantitative, because we tend to be a very numbers-driven society 
if you can't count it, it doesn't count um, mm -hmm. type of type of mentality. And I think um, so if you could talk a little bit about um, some of the analyses, um, you know, in terms of your why, I know that uh, one of the things that stuck out for me with, with you coming here to the Winters Group was really lifting that up. You know, the lived experiences, the voices, the things that can't be counted. And, you know, you've said things like, well, if, if you only have 10 um, indigenous people, you know, in, in your organization, and you might say, well, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to include that data because there are only 10 mm -hmm. people. Right. So why don't you talk a little bit more? You can you can say it better than I could. <laughs> no, it's it's such a great point and it's super important. Thanks for bringing that up, Mary Frances. Um, I know you talked about it in your chapter, too, about quantitative data and the problems there. But mm -hmm. oftentimes when we rely only on quantitative data, um, and I think you talk about this um, a lot as well, a lot of these minority groups, per se, or groups with less people at the organizations historically, don't even have enough numbers to reach statistical significance, to have a p-value that's important. And I think we rely so much on statistical significance, so much so that the academic, the industry, the academic industrial complex doesn't even value qualitative data or qualitative research studies as well. They can barely get research or funding for that, um, that we completely are missing groups of people, people's experiences, um, and aren't able to value it. So what we've done at the Winters Group is um, really created a robust thematic framework or analytical framework that's justice-centered for analyzing interviews and um, listening sessions with employees. So interviews with key stakeholders at the organization, listening sessions with employees of different affinity groups across the organization. And we're looking for actually how they say things and what their answers to things are. So do we see hints of perfectionism in how people are talking about what they want to achieve or what are their successes or challenges at the organization? Um, do we see that we are valuing quantity over quality, um, go big or go home, those types of things. Um, and one of my favorites is always right to comfort. So looking at, are we trying to be nice? And many organizations we work with are in the Midwest or have people from the Midwest because we're everywhere like myself. Um, and Midwestern nice is, you're right, Gabby, Ohio. Mm. Um, Megan's from Chicago. Uh, Midwestern nice is a form of dominant culture that's just rooted in trying to go along to get along, but go along to get along to a point where you aren't making changes that are equitable or just, or you may not be able to see or value cultural differences that aren't your own worldview. So those are the kind of things that we have been trying to see in our data. Um, that are more valuable and what we've noticed with clients more actionable they're able to share the why and actually act upon the why instead of oh this is a p-value mm. it's significant okay and what do we do about it but this is like a hmm maybe we have a culture where our employees feel like they can't really speak up um, how can we change that and how does that change things like job satisfaction we can ask anyone if they like their job or not, and you might get pretty good results on that, but you won't really be able to see the why behind it. Um, and that's really what we've been trying to highlight and value as equal and almost as a supplement or accompaniment to 
um, numerical data and even looking at gaps in what people are even collecting, which that's been my new thing. There's so many organizations that just don't collect a lot of this data or don't want to share it. Um, and what does that say about the culture? If you don't want to share it, is there something you're trying to hide? Are you embarrassed? Do you not feel like this is a systems change that you can do? So that's been really interesting um, lately as well. Love it. Thank you, Samra. And then we'll segue over to Megan Larson in your chapter. What's your I why? I love that, Thabra. Every time I talk about what you do, I say, you know, we blend the quantitative and the qualitative because you have the data, but then the qualitative tells you why it matters. It tells you the story behind the quantitative number. So I love that. I think for, for my point, I mean, marketing is so fast paced. My why is marketing is so fast paced now. It's real time. Everything is reacting in real time. So we have this long-term strategy or even medium-term strategy, and you are reacting to things as they come up because the world is changing so fast and with, you know, 24-hour internet and news and all these things, you can't afford to wait. So from a marketer's point of view, you are the best, even the best marketers, you're still reacting a lot of the time. So you are relying on your, you know, your base self, your default. And to the idea of gatekeepers, most of the people, the marketing and advertising, even the government space, people that are creating these narratives, creating these stories, have been affluent, white-sized men, right? So uh, those are the people that are gatekeeping these stories and these narratives and controlling the power of what people are told, what information people have access to, and, you know, what people might end up believing. So even when I was doing research in this chapter, even your marketing and advertising programs, like equity is not built in. The idea of inclusion and equity and justice is not built into the program. Ethics aren't even built into, you know, business or marketing programs. Maybe they'll have a seminar or it'll be part of orientation, but this is not embedded in the work that they do every day. So that's one of the reasons, Thamar, you mentioned capitalism. That's one of the reasons I put it in the book because that's the whole point. Your job in marketing is to sell, to sell your company, to sell your product, to sell your service. And you are driven by that capitalist mentality. So it's really hard, even people with the best of intentions, to pause in this rapid response kind of environment and take a step back and really make sure that you are lifting up those marginalized voices. You are doing your best to reduce harm. You are taking the time to examine and interrogate the work that you're doing and making sure that you are being equitable, that you're being inclusive, and that you are not playing into those stereotypes and those dominant narratives that have been uh, lifted up for so long. Um, one of the examples I have is it's really hard to <laughs> market, just not only the world changes so fast, but marketing technology changes so fast too. Um, so we're constantly trying to either learn how to use this new platform, use this new software, use this new technology, or we're finding experts that have that that experience, right? 
And um, a company that I was working for at the time, we wanted to do some targeted ads. We had this great new product that we wanted to launch and we want we very specifically wanted to target certain people. So we hired this wonderful expert, she was amazing. She knew how all the platforms and the technology worked. We brought this great campaign and then it flopped. And we're sitting there going, what was going on? You know, we have we have all our demographic data. We have is it the designs? We're changing the design, we're changing the copy, we're we're iterating, we're testing. And it was going nowhere. And we ended up sitting down with the platform that we were using to run all these ads. And it turns out they had been posting our ads on mobile games. And that is not where our audience was. It's not where the people that we wanted to talk to. And we're like, how did this happen? You know, we're we're a business. We're we're trying to sell this widget, this thing over here. Why would you put this in in a video game or in a in a mobile game? And it's because that's where the algorithm put us. We have no control over who is going to see our ad. And we had been very methodical and intentional about this, and we still got put in a mobile game and that's one of the points of of this is we had we hired an expert we had we were very careful about what we did and we still got ended up where we didn't want to be and that can turn into you're on a weapon site or you're on a hate site or you're on Mm -hmm. some forum where people are saying things that absolutely are antithetical to you personally and to your brand and it's so challenging and so difficult from a marketing point of view, even if you had the best ethical training and you had the best um, intentions in this, the gatekeepers make it so hard for you to do what you wanna do. It's just so much invested in controlling that narrative into controlling what you're allowed to say and where you're allowed to say it and who's allowed to see it, that it's so important for us to lift up that this is not okay. We are not going to accept that that these are the people that are going to have control over a narrative that so many people rely on. So many people use social media or the internet to get their news, to be informed, to make their connections with people, to have um, a social life, right? And when the people that are in charge of those platforms and those technologies are invested in maintaining a power, control, and a status quo, then we all lose. And mm-hmm. and it's really important for us to lift that up and be more mindful and intentional and and call it out that it's not okay. 100%. It's so powerful. I remember watching what uh, Spider-Man from not too long ago, where they actually showed a Filipina Lola for the first time. And I thought I felt so seen and it's just, it means a lot, you know, to see yourself reflected in, in the popular culture. And in your story too, Megan, about the, the, the opportunity to, to really interrogate what happened in that situation to find out that, and that goes back to what Bomber was saying about, you know, about the data, not just, you know, um, looking at, uh, looking at, you know, what's the statistical um, significance or, you know, what did we, um, you know, how many impressions did we have in your case or whatever, but where were they, right? And, and were they making the impact that we really wanted to make? And I think that's what, justice is all about. Justice is about going going deeper. It's really uncovering um, the why did we get this um, result? 
um, and really recognizing how algorithms can, you know, can impact that, recognize how gatekeepers who just don't want the data to be shared, uh, you know, can, can impact that, recognize how fear, people who are fearful of giving honest answers can impact that, and our our, our, our biases um, that we already have, how we interpret the data. And so that's why we use the term interrogate the data. So that's that's been really enlightening. Really that's great, a, thank you. That's a great point, Mary Frances, that the fact that we were able to do that, mm -hmm. we had to demand a meeting with the platform to be able to get that information. It was not standard in our account. We mm -hmm. actually had to demand a meeting and work our way up there to get that information because they didn't want to provide it. Right. And that's how you get to justice, right? It's it's correcting the harm. That's what we, we've been saying this throughout these podcasts. It really, podcast episodes, it's really about correcting the harm. You can't correct the harm unless you have the courage to um, challenge challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is hard work. And to make the work a little less hard for our, our listeners, wondering if each of you could just share um, just a few quick takeaways. If, what would you want readers to walk away from, with after reading your chapters? Samra? Yeah. Well, I'll focus on this chapter specifically because mm -hmm. we're talking about it now. Um, I'd walk away with it with, you know, the next time you're in the workplace, and you see a statistic or you're looking at your own data or your employees and how they feel, think about interrogating, as Mary Frances says, um, interrogating, hmm, how did we get that? Where does data come from? Who was actually involved in this process? Um, and, you know, what's the context behind it? Like, we can look at as many numbers as we want and make our own assumptions, but we won't really actually get the truth to act upon it unless we actually get that qualitative, that context, the root causes of the situation. And also a little bit of a nudge to people to actually act upon data. I know a lot of black and brown people in the workplace who are just tired of taking employee surveys and nothing happening, um, giving their input and nothing happening out of it. So even thinking about what are we gonna do with this and how are we gonna share our data? If you are in charge or have that type of influence at your organization, how can you share in a way that's transparent and real? Because at the end of the day, people want to see their reality be valued. And that's what we hope and intend for data to be. Love it. It's just like we just did our pulse survey and we got to see that data. And it's powerful to be able to see, um, you know, the results and people taking action. So absolutely, thank you for that example. Our internal. Um, our internal pulse survey at the Winters Group, we just did that survey, is what Gabby's referring to. <laughs> we are living what we are teaching. Uh, and Megan, how about you? What, what are your takeaways for your chapter? I think one thing that I really want to uh, encourage people to do is really allow yourself to pause and think critically. Who Who is, and I know Mary Frances has said this before, but you know, who's benefiting from this information? How did you get it? what lens and what what is the narrative that's being sold to you do not accept at face value um the narrative that is being created because we want to make sure that that all voices are represented thank you mayor francis anything i think that this has been an amazing 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 conversation so as you know 
Um, these podcast episodes are about our book, Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. If you read the chapters um, on marketing and advertising and the chapter on, uh, on data uh, analysis, you will get some really concrete recommendations for how to collect and how to analyze data. You will get some concrete recommendations from Megan Larson on how to approach um, advertising in a justice-centered framework. So we do hope that you will uh, get the book and uh, read those chapters. And so until next time, oh, I want to thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, listeners, for being here. Thank you to our guests for being here, Megan Larson and Thamara Subramanian. And also, always thank you to my co-host, who uh, I am really enjoying um, this journey uh, with you. Um, so yeah, so until next time, we would ask you to continue to reimagine racial justice at work. Thank you very much. Thank you.